Everybody here has a family, right? I mean, you got a father, mother, stepfather, stepmother, somewhere, somehow. And all this comes together in a beautiful portrait of who we are. Now, I was recently listening to a series on the family by Tony Evans, so I'm going to borrow some of his ideas. In fact, the two ideas I want to borrow from him, you're going to write them down right now. The one is authority, and the other is responsibility. Write those words down. Authority and responsibility. Say it with me. Authority, responsibility. If you've ever been to Canada, to a city called Toronto, they had what was the tallest building in the world for several decades. It's now the third tallest by a few feet. It's called the CN Tower. It stands 1,815 feet high. If you ever been to the top of it, that's tall. It can withstand 200 mile an hour winds. And it was the highest freestanding building for several decades, but now it's the third. They say at the top of this building, there is a 3.5 foot sway. So you're in the top and you're going like this. Okay, here we go. Doesn't make you feel too safe, does it? Now, if you're designing a building of this magnitude, what do you need? You need a proper foundation. The water table in Toronto is 19 feet below the ground. That's it. And so imagine putting a proper foundation for the CN Tower. Its walls are 22 feet thick. It goes 50 feet deep into the ground. It is around concrete, 500 tons of reinforced steel, 40 tons of tension tables, none of which are visible. You need a right foundation. Now, let's compare that to a little building in Mannheim, Pennsylvania called Doe Run Elementary School. It's a beautiful building. It's 20 years old, a little older than 20 years old, but it is now being demolished. Why? Because someone in an office several decades ago looked at the water table in Mannheim and said, we need to spend $85,000 making sure that the foundation there, which was concrete block, is watertight. And people tried to tell them, no, you can't do that because concrete needs to breathe. And so they spent the $85,000 and the foundation is completely crumbled to the point the school has to be demolished. Now, Jesus tells a story, doesn't he? Talks about a house built on sand and a house built on rock. Very different consequences. One did a crash and burn when storms hit. The other withstood the storm. Now, interesting in the story, I'm going to read in a moment. The story was not how to avoid storms. Rather, the story is about how to withstand storms when they come. And it's a vastly different perspective on life. If you're trying to avoid storms or trying to withstand storms. But listen to these words, Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, floods came, winds blew, beat on that house. 
but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. When the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Remember that phrase, great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. We don't like that word today, but it's an important word. Not as their scribes. So here comes Jesus. He's teaching with authority. The religious leaders were just teaching, but not with authority. The family today in America has a foundation problem. We try to make it look good on the outside, but underneath the ground, it's an absolute chaos. 50% of our marriages in America end in divorce. 39% of children today live in single or no parent homes. Think about that phrase, and great is the fall of it. Today, in a lot of families, men are nowhere to be found. Families being redefined by our culture. The government now wants to enforce their version of family. And what's tragic is, Everyone's worried about what's going to happen in the White House when we ought to pay attention to our house. We sang about that this morning. The choir sang about that. I mean, this is our house. Now, let me put this proposition before you. Could it be that God knows more about the family than we do? Remember, Jesus taught with what? He taught with authority. Now, we know the answer to that. We know that God knows more about the family we do. He constructed it. He initiated it. He created it. I also understand this morning there's a myriad of situations here. There's divorce. There's divorce again. There's divorce again and again. There's blended families. There's step-parents. There's physically, there's sexually abused situations. And it's impossible for me to deal with every specific situation. But let me give this proposition. What we can do is fix the foundation. In fact, before you can fix the windows and the doors and the floors and everything else, you need a right foundation. And we need to hear what God is saying. And we then have to align ourselves with his purpose. So turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26. Did I say 21? I get numbers mixed up sometimes. Genesis 1, we're starting in the beginning when God created. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, now note what he said. Let us. So there's what we call the Trinity there, okay? I'm not going to talk or preach about the Trinity this morning, but God's saying let us. There are Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. There's the two words, authority and responsibility. However you want to define this creation of mankind, the thing that we call family, he's given them both authority and responsibility in that context. Then look at verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what? Very good. He's the creator, which means he's the standard. And our goal, if we look at this passage, when we are made in the image of God, we are image bearers. Image bearers mean they mirror or reflect or imitate God. How many times in Scripture do we have phrases like that? Be imitators of God as dear children, Paul says in Ephesians 5. We're called to be Christians. Christ wants. We're called to live by the power of the Spirit who Christ left here when he went to sit at the right hand of his Father. Now, when he left the Holy Spirit here, he left him here with a purpose. Amen? And this design was very good. So don't let anyone tell you that a loving father and a loving mother who live with their children under the rule of God is bad. That's his design. And he said, I want you to have authority and I want you to have responsibility over my created world. He did not say, he created them male and female for your happiness. You know this happily ever after stuff? It's a benefit. It's not the purpose. You know what we do in our culture? In our culture, we make the benefit the goal. And when we don't get what we think we need or we want or we're not happy, what do we do? We leave, we quit, we move on. We say, I'm getting out of here. But I, I'll guarantee you this morning, that if your goal is happiness, personalities will get in the way, your background will get in the way, your sin will get in the way. If you focus on the benefit, you will lose the purpose and you end up losing both. Happiness is a benefit of living according to God's purpose, not the other way around. So let's go back to this concept of authority and responsibility. We are called in the context of our relationships to rule on God's behalf so that history comes under God's rule. That's what that whole being created in the image of God stuff is. Now, when you think about that, husband, wife, kids, ruling God's way, which means we submit to his authority, how do you bring instability to a culture? Well, you destabilize the family. You lose its purpose. And when you lose its purpose, culture becomes chaotic. And when you lose the purpose and culture becomes chaotic, we live under Genesis 3. 
And when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, that's God's creation. Genesis 3, what happens? Sin enters the world. And we blame, we hide, and we shame. There's conflict, there's violence. Now, if I'm not making myself clear, let me say it this way. There's not enough money for any government to fix this mess. If we try to fix it ourselves, if we try to fix this creation by ourselves, there will be unintended consequences that will not produce what we claim we need to produce. Many of you met Ricky when he was here and he preached. And he's working in D.C. and he works with fatherless kids and trying to reestablish them back into a family setting. And here's one of the things that Ricky will tell you. He goes, well, the government programs are designed to help the families live. He goes, what they ultimately do is enslave them. He goes, for instance, he goes, men need to step up and take responsibility for their family rather than the government coming along and saying, listen, we'll let you off the hook. The women can have babies and more babies and we'll keep paying you. You don't need a provider, just a genetic donor. And that's taking away both the authority and responsibility that the men have in the context of family. I don't know if you ever looked at the last words spoken before things went silent. Difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. Let me read it to you. It's in Malachi 4.6. The prophets are silent. All these silent years, Christ shows up. But listen to what it says. The prophet says, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. Unless I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. In other words, saying, listen, if dads aren't doing what dads need to do, utter destruction will happen in the midst of the culture and chaos. If they don't take authority and responsibility for the purpose God designed them to be image bearers, they're to bear the image of God, they're to bring stability into culture, they're to remind us of who God is. If they renege on that, destruction will come. So the purpose of the family, the purpose of marriage and having children is to spread the image of God. I mean, God put it this way, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with my image. Now I know some of you are probably sitting here saying, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm single. In America, for the first time, there's actually more singles than there are marrieds, statistic-wise. But if you're single, you're part of a family. Amen? And if you don't get all this God stuff right when you're single, guess what happens? You bring that dysfunction into a marriage and family, and you will say to yourself, you know, and I hear this all the time, if I only marry the right person, then everything will be okay. Now, why do you think that someone else can fix what you yourself can't fix? Only Christ can fix what is wrong with you. But that's chapter 1. Now let's move to chapter 2. You know, chapter 1 defines in short detail what he did. Chapter 2 is how he did that. He explains a little further 
how he created man and women. So here's the situation. Adam's single, just him and God. He's free to hunt every single day. He can watch as much sports on TV, and there is no female to distract him away from those kind of activities. And God gives him four things. Number one, he gives him a place to live. Number two, he gives him a job, a purpose. Number three, he gives him a relationship with God. And four, he gives him a command. Look at Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, place to live, to work it and keep it. Gives him a job. And we know later on he gets to name all the animals. I mean, how cool was that? Adam walks along and says, look at that. That looks like a lion. Lion, you got the name. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Man is called to live under the rule of God. That's his calling, that's his purpose. God rules over him, God shapes him, God defines him. Too many men are not prepared to bring a woman or children into a relationship because they've not settled living under God's rule. And that's true for women as well. Our ability to submit to God and let God rule in our lives I mean, if if the man is not properly submitting to God, then he'll bring chaos into his home. And he'll resort to Genesis 3, domination and control. And too many people today in our churches, I mean, we can't expect people outside of Christ to act Christian. But people in our churches, those that we claim to follow Christ, too many people are eating from the tree of good and evil. And what they're saying is, let me decide what's right and wrong. Let me decide the purpose of the family. Let me decide the way I should go. I want to make my own definition. And God says, if you do, you will die, and the people around you will die as well. So here's the situation. Adam's alone in the garden, gives him a place to live, gives him a job, gives him a relationship with him, gives him commandments. But here's what God says about the situation. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So enter, if we're going to have this authority and responsibility, if we're going to have this image bearing in our world, there's a problem. Adam needs help. For what? To fulfill the purpose of God's stuff. Now, it's obvious that Adam needs help with the multiply stuff. Amen? (laughs) That's common sense. But think about this. In the context of family, we are called to live in such a way that that the image of God is made clear to a world that desperately needs to see him. Verse 21, so God, the Lord God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman And brought her to the man. You know, Adam was made with a handful of dirt. (laughs) Eve, it says that he fashioned her. And you note the phrase here, 
God brought her to Adam. I mean, sometimes the little things make the most significance. I mean, he didn't wake up one day and say, whoa. No, he took the rib, went over here, made her, and brought her to him. The man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You know, this at last is kind of a Hebrew way of saying, whoa. <laughs> she shall be called woman. Now, you note that Adam could name all the animals. And Adam named Eve woman. In fact, his name is Ish, and the woman's name is Isha. So she took on his name because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now there's a whole lot we get into here. We're not going to this leaving, cleaving deal. This naked has more to do with just physical, but because we live in a sexually saturated world, that's where our minds go. We're talking about complete spiritual, emotional, intellectual, physical, no shame. And understand, they actually understood each other. <laughs> I mean, that's what that phrase means. We're going to get into that stuff later on, okay? I'll save that. But let's remember what he said in Genesis 1. It was what? Very good. Let me talk a little bit about the no shame. You know, we shame each other way too much. If we're trying to get back to Genesis 1 and 2, the church should be a place where we take away the shame. But so often we're like little tattletales. We run to God saying, oh, do you know what so-and-so, what they did? Or what I think they did? Or what I thought I saw them do? And what we do is we play God with people's lives. And God said the purpose of the family is for authority and responsibility. It is not for shaming. So then what happens? Genesis chapter 3. God created, he created family. He called them to rule over this world with authority and responsibility. He said, you're going to be my image bearers in this world. You among all other creation are going to reflect us because we made you in our image. That is your divine purpose. In Genesis 3, who shows up? Satan. Now, Tony Evans calls him slick. <laughs> but notice this. When does he show up? He shows up after they're married. And what does he go after? He was after the authority and responsibility of the family. He goes into their home. He doesn't wait till they go outside the Garden of Eden. And who does Satan go to first? He goes to the woman. He skips the authority of God and the responsibility of man. He goes after the heart of the matter. Did God really say? Do you see how he sidesteps the very purpose and design of the family? And when God shows up, who does God talk to first? Talks to Adam. Adam, where are you? I gave you authority and responsibility over your wife. And what does Adam do? 
he abdicates his responsibility and says, the woman you gave me, he blames God. And he blames the woman that God gave him. After all, God brought that woman to him. What's the woman do? She goes, well, slick over here, you know. I mean, she practices exactly what she saw from her husband. But note in Genesis 3, the home becomes cursed. It is full of chaos, it is full of death, and it's full of destruction. Genesis 3.16, here's the unintended consequence that, that was created by Eve. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And then here's a very interesting phrase. It says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The word desire and rule are the same Hebrew word, just different forms. And what it's talking about here, and remember, we are in a cursed state. We are not talking about how the way it should be. And what God is saying, listen, because you chose not to live under my authority and responsibility, and because you chose not to live under your husband's authority and responsibility, there's going to be this power struggle. And what's going to happen is women will attempt to subjugate men all their lives. This is the curse. It's not God's design. They're going to attempt to usurp power over men, and most of the time, he says, you will lose. Look at our culture. Men abdicating authority and responsibility. The kind of physical violence we see. Genesis 3 then, 17 through 19, he says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, not to me, but to your wife, and have eaten of the tree which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till the Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust. And to dust you shall return. And he's really saying, listen, Adam, what's going to happen now is you still have the responsibility and authority to watch over and provide for your family. And it's going to be hard work now. In fact, there's going to be a lot of stuff that gets thrown in your way. Some storms and struggles and situations. But it doesn't abdicate the purpose of why I created you and Eve and allowed you to procreate. So what do you do with all this? Well, let me say you can't fix yesterday, but you can impact tomorrow. So I don't want people leaving here saying, well, you know, I've kind of messed up and there's nothing I can do about it. No. Yesterday is yesterday. Tomorrow is a whole new day. And you can decide what kind of foundation you're going to build from here on out. Remember the little children's story, the three little pigs? First pig built a house of straw, and the wolf comes along and says, I'm going to huff, and I'm going to puff, and I'm going to blow your house down, and blows it down because it was built of the wrong material. And then the next little pig had the house of sticks, and the house of straw and sticks were not strong enough to keep the big bad wolf out. But the third house had the right foundation 
had the right building materials. And it withstood the big bad wolf. Well, culturally, there is a big bad wolf blowing. And it's been blowing for generations and generations. And it originates from a person called Slick. (laughs) And he's out to abdicate authority and responsibility that God has given to us. First in our submission to him and then our submission to each other. And it's time to wake up. And it's time to submit to his rule. It's time to see him at work. It's time to enter into that work. It's time to be part of something larger than ourselves. This is where confession and repentance come in. This is where everyone, men, women, singles, married, kids, we got to ask the question, are we properly submitted to God? Or are we listening to the alternatives, to the lies? Did God really say, I want to eat of the tree because I want it my way and my definition, what I want. One of the easiest ways to tell us whether or not we're living right is, are we focused on the benefits or are we focused on the purpose? I mean, how do you define your family? Now, if you heard me say many times over, that I consider one of the greatest leadership gifts is self-awareness. That as Christians, we need to be wholly aware, and that's where confession and repentance come into play. So I think this morning it's time for some Holy Spirit reflection. And you ask, what's that? Well, he left him here to empower us to see ourselves for who we are and what we can become in God. Amen? And the psalmist put it this way in Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's verses 23 and 24. That's a good prayer to pray every single day this week. And then listen, because we are image bearers, and we reflect who God is. We reflect the role and responsibility of man, husband, father, woman, wife, mother, single child. So as we kind of look through this series, and this morning was kind of an introduction, we're going to break all this down as we come out going to talk to the men one week, so I'm sure all the wives are going to want to have the men out, right? <laughs> then we're going to talk to the ladies, and all the men will say, okay, ladies, it's your turn, and we're going to talk to the kids and, and singles. But think about the beautiful opportunity that we have to reflect the glory of who God is. We are unique among his creation because we have been made in his image. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, What can I say? May your spirit teach us. We don't like to hear some of these words. We like to redefine and move responsibility somewhere else and blame over here. Rather than simply getting our knees before you and saying, Lord, what is it you would have me to do? Search me. And if there's a grievous way, man, just show it and let me deal with that rather than make all these excuses. I pray for us at GBC and I pray for the church in America and around the world, Lord, that we can restore the divine purpose of the family. And that's where our nation will be healed. It won't be healed in any government policy or program. It'll be healed when we finally get on our knees before you 
together and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. Help us to be that kind of church, Lord. May we have ears that are sensitive to hear what your spirit says to us this week. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.